everyone, I'm Jacopo Dettoni and this is the FDI podcast. COVID-19 has already changed the world we live in and some of the disruption it brought along is here to stay even beyond the short term. Just to mention one stunning development of the last hours. As we speak, the market cap of Samsung Biologics, the biotech arm of the Korean powerhouse, has reached $31 billion, topping the market cap of other much larger Korean companies like Hyundai Motors. Biotech is no exception. COVID-19 has been a boon for several other sectors, particularly in the digital economy space, while it's been a real black swan for the majority of legacy industries from automotive to tourism. While we can expect some of this disruption to disappear gradually as the COVID-19 emergency subsides, some sectors will never be the same again, calling for investment promotion agencies and economic developers across the world to adjust their strategies accordingly. Today, I'm connected remotely, obviously, with Sebastian Shihadi, our global markets editor, and Alex Ori Hunt, our global investment reporter, to single out three single sectors we believe will carry forward the current level of disruption into the post-COVID-19 world. Welcome, guys. How are you all holding up? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having us on, Yako. Okay, Sebastian, let me start with you. Where do you see deep long-lasting impacts from uh, this uh, COVID-19 crisis? I'll begin by saying that e-commerce, although suffering an an initial disruption for many companies, uh, online retailers, for example, suffering from supply chain shortages and employment restrictions, of course, people couldn't come into work or the factory at first. So initially, it was was a mixed picture for e-commerce. But over the course of the first month, we started seeing reports come out saying, for for example, um, logistic uh, .nl, uh, one major uh, news outlet for, for the industry, uh, started reporting that actually uh, we're likely to see a, around a 50% increase in, in market growth uh, over the next month in April and onwards. And we also have digital commerce providing a similar figure, 52% growth. So what I'm trying to say here is e-commerce is booming for, for many major companies uh, such as Amazon being the gold standard, which is why Amazon in um, in mid-March said they were, were expecting to hire 100,000 more people. So, I mean, that's the best example of that. And and why that's important, not only is, is e-commerce changing, um, but let's get more specific to uh, one sector that will have a major impact on, which is uh, the logistics sector. So, so of course, deliveries are even more important right now. Packaging as well is going through the roof. So, so these two sectors, but particularly logistics, is is going to be changing as customers are ordering more products to their house, yeah. and as supply chains become increasingly regional or national. But um, I'd I'd like to bring up the example of Amazon having recently announced several greenfield investments in um, industrial warehousing logistical services and deliveries. So we're already seeing in terms of greenfield investment, this impact. Alex, what is the sector that uh, you believe will never be the same after COVID-19? Of course, we are in a global pandemic at the moment. Um, So we would perhaps uh, be exercising some oversight if we didn't comment on the life sciences sector and specifically pharmaceuticals. You know, with any health crisis, we will need the drugs to heal our ailments and, uh, and and make us feel better and, and recover. Pharmaceuticals is going to change massively going forward, uh, and especially the investments they're making within the industry. I mean, just to give a bit of context, from 2014 to 2019, uh, pharmaceutical FDI, FDI 
grew steadily to a record number of projects uh, in, in 2019. Most notably, I suppose, is the idea that global pandemic has really laid bare over-reliance on certain parts of the supply chain within pharmaceuticals. To be specific, the active pharmaceutical ingredients, or APIs as they're called in the, in the industry, for a long time have been outsourced to uh, manufacturers in Asia, for instance, for, for, for cost reasons. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help the bottom line of these pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> However, suddenly with this global pandemic, there's a, a huge demand for drugs in, in developed economies, and they actually need these uh, productive capabilities in the US, for instance, or across Europe. So my prognosis really is that I think we're going to see a lot of this production shifting back to developed economies, uh, having spent years shifting towards the lower cost locations in Asia. I think really we'll see this more balanced assessment of the factors that define the investment decisions. It's not just going to be about costs. There's certainly going to be more consideration of the risks. And I mean, just to pick up also, of course, this is not only um, just pharmaceuticals, large, major pharmaceutical companies across the health sector more generally, there's been a real boon. I mean, venture capital is flowing into a lot of health techs, for instance. Yes. Um, and if we look at FDR markets, we have, a, we have these investor signals that basically pick up when companies have either raised new funding or have resources for international expansion or perhaps have a new investment strategy going forward. And between January and April, uh, as we speak at the end of April, now, uh, there were 118 signals picked up across the life sciences sector. So I mean, that, that's, that's an indication that there are companies that are raising funding and are going to be thinking about international expansion going forward. My prediction is that they'll come back to develop economies. But I don't know what your impression are, on that is, Jacopo. I just wonder whether um, there will be uh, a solid uh, economic case for companies in this, in this space to reshore or nearshore operations that had been previously outsourced to places like India or China. The competitive advantage of producing in those markets is still very high uh, in terms of obviously of costs. On the one hand, uh, there is a clear push by governments in uh, Europe or the US to attach a label of uh, uh, strategic value to these industries moving forward. Uh, and they will try their best to foster relocation of uh, some of these uh, value chains. On the other hand, uh, I wonder uh, what will be the response of the private sector. You think of big pharma, they are all obviously public companies, so they will have to, to, to be accountable to their shareholders or their strategies. And again, uh, there must be some clear, solid uh, financial incentives for them to relocate other than uh, consideration of uh, uh, on the ground of national security or strategic uh, value. I completely agree. And of course, uh, we've seen um, Australia and the European Commission as well, just at the end of, end of March, um, call for more oversight, I suppose, and more caution when it comes to uh, FDI in terms of mergers and acquisitions in critical industries, healthcare being front and centre as we are in a global pandemic. So I agree we shouldn't misconstrue that or mix them up in the sense there's a difference between Greenfield FDI uh, and, and perhaps the mergers and acquisitions. But it'd be an interesting one to see as we go forward. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that this global pandemic and crisis has, has really put a spotlight on the industry. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I want to, to emphasize one particular activity uh, that has been at the, at the, at the heart of uh, the investment promotion uh, 
strategies of many countries across the globe, which is call centers or more technically speaking, uh, uh, business process outsourcing or BPO's operations. I was reading just a couple of days ago, um, this one of these big players in the industry, French company Teleperformance, announced plans to hire 4,000 people in Colombia uh, and they will all be working from home under what they call a work-at-home agent model. This is a shift that was already happening in the industry, uh, meaning that some companies were already pushing to establish uh, uh, digital workplaces as opposed to, to having all their work teams uh, in, a, in a big office towers. But with, uh, with this, obviously, with COVID-19 and social distancing rules and, uh, and uh, lockdowns still in place, uh, this transition will be quickly um, accelerating. And I think that this will have uh, great repercussions for, again, for those countries that have... Uh, invested heavily in promoting and attracting a BPO's operation. I think of uh, the likes of the Philippines, India, obviously, but also countries in Europe like Poland or uh, countries in South America, like in this case, example of uh, of Colombia. So we, we might be facing a situation where uh, BPO companies are creating jobs in foreign markets without necessarily having to invest office towers or even developing office towers, or if not just renting out office towers. It's definitely a paradigm shift of uh, of also how foreign companies operate in foreign markets. Uh, I think that this, this relationship between uh, FDI and job creations and job creation will be, will change. And uh, the BPO space is definitely one space to look at when it comes to this uh, paradigm shift. Just to pick up on a point you made there, Yako, which is vital, uh, really, what is the demand going to be for the office space that's required, for instance, in the BPO sector, as well as more widely across other sectors? Of course, you know, as, as we have all found across industries worldwide, we are able to do a lot of functions working remotely. Maybe this is going to be a permanent shift in many industries. And as a result, of course, you might not need necessarily as much office space and, and as such, uh, demand as much office space going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how investments shift as a result of that um, going forward. This kind of ties in in the narrative also of uh, tier two cities being able to 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 get some 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 of the benefits, if any, from this situation. I think Seb, uh, um, you wrote already a lot extensively about tier two cities, and uh, probably you got a clearer. Uh, picture in mind and I have. We've already seen a general trend in certain, especially European countries and, and in the US. I'll speak for those uh, regions in which uh, younger generations, especially people in their 30s and 40s, are looking to, to get a better quality of life, can find better opportunities outside of the capital. Coronavirus and lockdown are potentially going to accelerate that trend as working from home is, is far, far, far more acceptable and normalized. If that's the case, yeah, then I'm sure we'll be seeing a, a more of a spread in terms of where people are working from. And of course, this will impact the real estate sector, which was your main theme, Yeko, from, from the BPO sector. But, and as Alex, you're saying, uh, this will impact all sectors and how foreign investors interact with real estate abroad will be really interesting to watch. We're already seeing, uh, I've seen one or two industry reports predicting a huge decrease in commercial 
real estate. Do you think that this could be a turning point also for this uh, trend that has been going on at least for two decades now of uh, the trend towards the mega cities, the incredible growth of sprawling uh, uh, mega urban areas in developing, but also developed mm. uh, uh, countries. You think that coronavirus is a, is a turning point for this trend? It depends on how long this lockdown goes on for and, and how long the impact of the lockdown is internalized. For, for example, I read one piece yesterday that was arguing that actually things are going to go back to quote-unquote normal a lot faster than we expect. But if we're not going to take that stance, then I think if more and more people do find it acceptable to, well, I'll just go and work in a smaller, nicer city outside of London. If that kind of mindset is growing, then for certain megacities, I think we may see maybe a, a bit of a decrease in in people moving there. So maybe the growth rate of certain megacities will, will decrease as we see uh, tier two cities and, and smaller places with a better quality of life grow in popularity. Why not work somewhere nice if you're being paid the same amount of money? Uh, but also, um, going back to sort of the cultural impact, if if the, the desirability of living in a densely populated place is internalized, then I think this hypothesis could be true. And that will, I guess, de- depend on how many months or maybe years some form of, of, uh, of lockdown is, is implemented in, in, into our lives. I wonder whether one point to discuss in this vein, uh, to link it back to the e-commerce discussion we we're having at the start of this, whether you know the large sort of processing centers that will be needed as we increasingly shop online and the penetration of e-commerce uh, increases uh, year on year whether actually maybe we'll see real estate investments nearer to those sort of huge warehouses that are processing all of the goods that are sold online maybe that's a bit far-fetched to predict but perhaps we'll see a shift away from the mega cities in terms of real estate because yeah the, these large where industrial warehouses are out of the cities so this could tie into a broader trend of developers and governments enforcing more of a spread of real estate less densely populated cities maybe architecture and government policy on construction will be changed forever and and that would be one example of that and and also on the on the residential side of things uh we might see a push growing demand for larger um, houses or larger flats because if people don't go to the office anymore they will be they will be working from home and so maybe in the long in the in the long run they will be also be seeking for for places where with uh, with a sort of like small office within their own flats or houses there will be some rebalancing even like around the concept of uh, uh, bigger warehouses and logistics developments and uh, around the concept of like bigger residential uh, units. There is a lot of work to do for for property developers. Obviously, COVID nineteen has been uh, uh, our main focus in the past uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, uh, before wrapping up, do you want to give me uh, give us uh, our listeners uh, some insights into the stories you are working on and uh, what will be what should we expect uh, on FDI intelligence in the next couple of weeks? In premonition of this exciting ranking we're doing for our next issue, which is Tech Cities of the Future, it's a ranking of 50 cities across Europe in terms of their prowess as tech ecosystems and their attraction of FDI from from startups and scale-ups. We're increasingly looking at actually the startup sectors that may be weathering the storm better than the larger established industries and and multinational companies. Um, So I think that that's something definitely to look out for. If there perhaps is a sudden fall in demand in 
traditional industries, there may well be startups that, that can fill that void. So look out for that. I'll be looking at uh, a case study of whether or not foreign investment has continued into the UK. So let's see how things have developed. That'll be in the upcoming magazine. I'll be working on the most resilient uh, urban areas in the US or resilient, economic resilient urban areas in the US in the current circumstances. But guys, thank you very much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, you can find all our podcasts on our website, fdiintelligence.com slash podcast or on platforms like Acast, iTunes, and also Spotify. Stay tuned. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.